Good morning, church. Thank you, praise team and choir. What wonderful voices and what wonderful sound as we praise our great God together. Turn your Bibles, please, to Acts in chapter 20, if you will. Acts in chapter 20. Amy and I had lunch with some friends recently, and while we were waiting for the food to come, the the conversation turned to uh, the topic of people who have served as mentors or role models or people who have modeled Christ-likeness to us. And our friend who was sitting there turned to his grandparents and just talked about how his, both his grandfather and his grandmother have really lived a Christ-like life and modeled for them what it looks like to serve. And he spoke of how his grandfather served multiple generations in that same town where, where uh, he taught you know grandfathers and fathers and sons and grandsons and so forth. And what a great, great reminder of the people who have gone before us, the people who are out there, the people who are in our lives who have modeled what it looks like to be a Christian. In fact, in this room right now, there are people who you look to who have lived their faith in front of you in such a way that has been an inspiration to you, has been an example to you. I love hearing stories about how in the church there are some who are loving others, younger people, and loving them and encouraging them to follow Christ. And I hear commentary from people sometimes like, yeah, this was my Sunday school teacher when I was a kid, and now I'm in my 30s or 40s, and I'm still looking to that person because they are following Christ, and they are showing us what it looks like to be fully devoted to Jesus. They're showing us what it looks like to seek him with all that we are. These are great stories of encouragement. You're thinking of people right now. Maybe they're in this church. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're in your family. Maybe it's a a grandfather or a parent, or maybe it's a friend who you work with, but they picture what it looks like to live for Jesus for you. Well, this morning, we're going to look at Paul's farewell address to the elders of the church at Ephesus. And essentially, as Paul is saying goodbye to these leaders of the church there in Ephesus, he is saying, this is how I did ministry, and he's giving them a model, reminding them of what it was that he involved himself with while he was there in Ephesus for three years. In a lot of ways, he's saying, follow me. He's saying, do it like this. Live for and serve Jesus like this. Would you stand as we read together Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse 17. Acts 20 beginning in verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus." 
to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will rise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Will you pray with me? Lord, today we're praying that you would open up our eyes to see these aspects of Paul's life that are so pertinent to living for you, that are so pertinent to speaking and living the gospel, that are so pertinent to the benefit of other people as we live this life. May we do it for your glory and may we do it, Lord, in such a way that that encourages others to follow Christ more fully. God, use us, your children, your church, in such a way that people will understand what it looks like to follow Jesus when they look at our lives. We pray this, Lord, for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So Paul, we read here, spent about three years or so in the city of Ephesus. And then, of course, this is on his return back, but he was there for Ephesus in three years, and then he wanted to go back up through Macedonia and down to Greek and Corinth, and he was collecting, a, uh, he was collecting this offering there, trying to get back to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. And you recall that when he was there in Greece, he was going to take a ship, and he was going to sail across the Mediterranean and get to uh, Palestine and go down to Jerusalem, but he learned of a plot of the Jews, and this changed his plan. So he traveled back up through Macedonia and then down the west coast of Asia, going past Ephesus, and then he, he came to this place called Miletus. And here he is. He's in Miletus, and he calls the leaders of the church in Ephesus to this place. You might think, well, why didn't he just stop in Ephesus and talk to him there? Well, think about it. He had invested three years of his life there. And he had friends and he loved people there and he knew that if he was there, he would be delayed because he wanted to get back to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost so he could celebrate the festival there, so he could be there on that day. So there he is in Miletus and he calls for the elders of the church in Ephesus and they come to him and he is giving now a farewell address. And as we look at this passage, there are several things that we can glean from Paul about living for 
and serving Jesus. And the first thing we see is this. We are to be completely devoted to the Lord. Be completely devoted to the Lord. Look again in verse 18. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Now, let me just say, Paul wasn't just reminding them of the fact that he had been there for three years. They knew that. They didn't need to be reminded of the fact that Paul had spent three years there serving and loving. Paul was actually emphasizing the way in which he was there. He was saying, you yourselves know that from the moment I was there, I was all there. I was completely there. I was dedicated to you. I was serving the Lord, and that meant I was serving you. I was caring for you. I mean, you understand this, right? We can be somewhere, but not really be there. Sometimes we're, we're, when we're in high school or college and, you know, we're in the class, but we're daydreaming. We're thinking about other things. We're not really all there. Or think about it this way. When you have young kids in your home, sometimes your spouse, you want to go get something to eat. You want to go on a date. So you hire a babysitter. And there are different ways that people watch kids, right? There are some babysitters who come in and, you know, after the parents leave, the kids start playing over on the side or in their room and the, and the babysitter is just sitting there on their phone or watching TV, just hanging out on the couch and whatever. But then there are other babysitters who get on the floor with the kids. They're playing with the kids. They're reading books to the kids. They are all there. From the moment that I came into the house, I was there. The kids know that because I was there, I was playing with them, I was loving them, I was serving them, I was engaging with them. That's what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, I was fully engaged. I was serving the Lord, I was fully engaged in your lives. I was loving you, I was serving you. Paul was reminding them the way in which that he went about ministry. He was reminding them the way in which he went about serving the Lord. So let me ask you, which babysitter do you want to hire? The first one? No, you all want to hire the second one. You want someone who is fully engaged. Paul's calling you to be fully engaged. Now, when we look at this text, we have to recognize that Paul here is specifically talking to the elders or the pastors of the church in Ephesus, right? So he's speaking to the leadership of the church. So broad, narrowly defined, we have to understand there is a, a clear application there for those who would serve in the role of elder or pastor, okay? But on the other hand, broadly defined or broadly applied, we can say if we are in Christ, we are part of a royal priesthood and we have all been entrusted with a message, we've been trusted with the gospel, we've been given the Holy Spirit, so we are to serve and to love. So in that sense, we can make application that we are all to be completely devoted to the Lord, serving the Lord and serving one another, caring for one another and being engaged in the way that we go about this. Friends, as followers of Christ, we need to be all in when it comes to following the Lord. We need to be all in when it comes to serving the Lord. And that means we need to be all in when it comes to loving one another and when it comes to making disciples. You might be a school teacher or a business owner or in insurance or the medical field or in retail or even retired, but that is not your primary calling because God has called you to himself 
if you're in Christ. And he has entrusted you with the gospel and he has empowered you to make disciples, to glorify him and to make disciples. And this means in whatever you do during your day, you need to give consideration as to how you can be about your primary calling, your primary calling of making disciples, your primary calling of serving the Lord and loving other people. But we also see here that being devoted to the Lord includes more than that. It includes paying close attention to yourself. That's what Paul says there in verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves. Now we're gonna get to the flock here in a minute, but first he says, pay careful attention to yourselves. And this makes sense, right? How are we gonna be of benefit to other people if we are not in a healthy place ourselves? How are we going to serve and love and make disciples if we're not even there ourselves? Now think about it physically. If you go to the doctor, maybe you have diabetes or heart disease or something, and, and the doctor is gonna tell you, you need to do the things that accord to your physical health. What are those things? Well, it means you gotta eat right, and you gotta exercise, and you gotta, you gotta you know, be on a regimen. You can't have too much of this and too much of that, but you need to focus here. And Okay, so we get that physically, but the same is true spiritually. If we are to take good care of ourselves, pay attention to ourselves spiritually, it means that we need to do the things that uh, accord to our spiritual health. What are those things? Well, those are the means of grace. Bible intake and seeking the Lord in prayer and being devoted to the Lord even through fasting and being connected to the church body and being encouraged to the church family and all these things, abiding in Christ, following the Spirit, all these things that support and encourage our spiritual health. We are to pay careful attention to ourselves. We're to, we're to refrain from the lies of the world. We're to refrain from the treasures or the joys of the world because they lead us astray. And we're to, we're to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel about what's really real. And then, of course, in paying attention to ourselves, uh, he's calling the elders of the church, the leaders of the church, they're to pay close attention to the flock, Pay close attention to the flock. Now, so they're, they're charged with overseeing the church family, the, the body of Christ, the local body of Christ. Now, most of us in here aren't pastors, so what does that mean for us? Well, it means that we, are, too, are called to love one another and to care for one another. This is why over and over again in the New Testament, we're called to join together. We're called to be together. We're called to encourage one another. Why? So that we won't be hardened or deceived by sin, right? Our hearts won't be hardened and we won't be deceived by sin. We're called to speak truth to one another as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter four. Why? So that we may grow up in love. So that we might grow up in every way into him, Christ, who is the head. That's why we speak truth to one another. This isn't just the role of the, of the pastor or the preacher. This is the role of the church family as we join together, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week as we love one another, as we encourage one another, as we, as we point each other to truth. This is what grounds us. This is what keeps us. This is what, uh, this is what keeps us from being tossed back and forth by every uh, wind of doctrine or by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes, Ephesians 4. 15. Church, your devotion to the Lord serves a greater purpose. Yes, it honors the Lord who is worthy of all of our honor, but it also serves to love your brother and sister in Christ. 
and it helps them in their walk to remain true. We are to be devoted to the Lord. Friends, it is sad that many see the gathering of the church family as irrelevant or unnecessary. It is a sad thing that some people think they are too good for the church. Oh, I don't need to go to the church family. I don't need anyone speaking into my life. I don't need to be encouraged in Christ. I'm okay. I'm just fine. Not only are they hurting themselves, friends, but they are neglecting God's word. What's clear from God's word. So be devoted to the Lord. But next, be steadfast through difficulty. So there in verse 19, which I just read, Paul talks about all these plots that came to him from the Jews. And we've read about plots multiple times. In fact, we've been in this, we've, we've seen several different scenes from Paul's ministry in Ephesus, which is Asia at that time. And we've seen that he's moved on, he's gone back, he's collected this offering, and then he was in Greece and he wants to sail back, but then the plot of the Jews, another plot comes back, and so he has to change his plans, and and here he is. Friends, we've been studying the book of Acts all year long, and what we've seen from Paul's first entering the scene is that there have been plots of the Jews against him. That people have wanted to get rid of Paul because of his love for Christ. So the Jews didn't like him. The Gentiles didn't like him because they were stir- he was stirring up the pot in terms of how he would make money and so forth. And, and everyone's against Paul. So what do we see from Paul? We see shipwrecks. We see uh, stonings. We see imprisonments. We see beatings. We see all sorts of things. But what we see from Paul is that he is steadfast through difficulty. Like He remains true to his calling. He remains true to his word. There is a way to, to get through difficulty by, by just kind of cutting the corners. Oh, I'm going to take my, my, my faith. I'm going to take my, the gospel. I'm going to hide it over here so I can kind of just kind of ease my way through here, right? I'm just going to move through here. I'm going to avoid all the difficulty because no one has to know what I believe. And no one has to know how I really live and, and who I really love. No one has to know that. But Paul didn't do that. No, he kept that important part of his life right here, front and center, and he lived it. Come what may, he lived it. And he's saying, be steadfast through difficulty. Be steadfast through difficulty. Keep declaring truth. Keep pointing people in the way of righteousness. Don't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God, even if it gets you in trouble. How do you do this? Well, he was devoted to the Lord. He understood the goodness and the grace of God. He understood the the majesty of the Savior. And this is what was moving him forward. He wasn't seeking the approval of anyone else, but he was seeking the approval of the one true and living God and the approval of the one that came, the approval, whose approval he had through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Now we can be sure that Paul wasn't involved with a self-serving enterprise here, Right? If Paul was just looking out for his own safety, if he's looking out for his own popularity, if he's looking out for himself, as soon as that difficulty would have, would have come, as soon as that difficulty came, he would have just thrown that away. He would have said, I, I can do better than this. I, I don't want to have to deal with this. No, no, I'm, I'm going to walk true. This isn't about me. This is about the, the one true and living God. This is about the king. This is about Jesus. 
So in a sense, him, Paul is telling the elders to be steadfast. He's already warned them there's going to be trials. He's already warned them there's going to be difficulty. He's going to say, look, there's going to be wolves who come in who want to tear the church apart. There will be enemies who come in who want to make shipwreck of your faith and of all the people in the church. They want to, they want to destroy the church. They want to undo your ministry. But what Paul is saying is be steadfast through it all. Continue speaking and living the gospel. And to us, he says the same thing. Keep on. Keep on. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. So you're the topic of gossip. So you're left off the invitation list. So someone told you that you should just mind your own business. So someone looked at you kind of funny because you were talking about Jesus. Be steadfast. And Paul would have us know, friends, that it's not in our own strength that we are able to do this. It's not in our own power, our own ability. It's always because of the Holy Spirit. And that's why we must be submissive to the Holy Spirit. So notice what Paul says there, verse 22 and 23. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So we've been talking about this for several weeks now. Paul is trying to get back to Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost where he can celebrate and he can be there and he can give the gift, the love offering that he's been taking up, the collection from all these Gentile churches to support the, uh, the church, the impoverished church in Jerusalem. But why is he going? He's going because the spirit of God in him is moving him there. He says, I'm constrained by the Spirit to go. So Paul here is being submissive to the Spirit, and he knows what awaits him. I mean, he says, I don't know exactly what's going to happen, except that the Spirit tells me there's going to be trouble. There's going to be imprisonments. There's going to be afflictions that await me there. But he's following the Spirit. He's being submissive to the Spirit, which tells us, friends, that it's by the power of the Spirit that Paul is moving forth in ministry. It's by the power of the Spirit that the Apostle Paul is engaging. It's by the power of the Spirit that Paul is able to be steadfast even in the midst of difficulty. That's why in Colossians 1, 28 and 29, right, when Paul says, we proclaim him, Jesus, encouraging every man and everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we might present everyone complete or mature in Christ. And then he tells us how. It's not by his own power. It's not by his own energy. It's, be, it's by the power and the energy that God is working in him. In other words, it's through the power of the spirit of God. I mean, just consider the nature of the battle. Consider the warnings that Paul has already given Fierce wolves are coming, and they want to tear apart the flock. Of course, we understand fierce wolves stand for false teachers who want to distort truth and who want to make shipwreck of people's faith so that they don't believe in Christ, they don't trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Yeah, false teachers are coming. They're going to arise. Who's up for the task? None of us. None of us. In fact, by God's design, he enlists people to serve him. And the crazy thing is, they can't do it. Not in their own strength, not in their own power, not in their own wisdom, but by the power of God in them. None of us in this room, as we speak truth, as we share the gospel, as we love others, can open up anyone's blind eyes. None of us. None of us can give anyone in this room spiritual life. 
None of us in this room can cause someone to grow in Christ. That's not how God designed it. But God designed it so that through weak vessels like myself and like you, his spirit works powerfully. And he gives life. And he gives hope. So be submissive to the spirit. Follow the spirit. God works through his people and he empowers them. Listen and follow the Spirit because the Spirit is seeking to lead us into relationships and to situations where we can make much of Jesus. And some of those will be difficult places. Some of those will be challenging places, but God's with us and his Spirit is moving and he will empower faithful followers of Christ as we depend on him. Finally, Paul would have us be faithful to the finish. Friends, be faithful to the finish. So Paul is following the Spirit, and he expects that he'll encounter more difficulty. And listen to his testimony there in verse 24. But I do not count, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Friends, more than anything, what Paul wanted was to be faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. More than anything, what Paul wanted was to live in such a way where he made much of the gospel and he made much of the glory of Christ. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27, Paul says, look, I've run the race and I'm, I'm running in such a way so that I'm not disqualified in the end. I want to run to win the prize. I want to be faithful to the one true and living God. And this means that he is going to continue to build his life on the word of God. He's going to continue to build his life on the love of God. And he's going to focus his life and focus his ministry on the gospel of grace. Friends, we've touched on this already in this text. But Paul devoted his life to proclaiming the kingdom, verse 25, to teaching, verse 20, to sharing the gospel, verse 21, to declaring the whole counsel of God, verse 27, and to commending others to the grace of God, which is able to build people up and to save them, verse 32. Look, that's what faithfulness looked like for the apostle Paul. That's what faithfulness looked like for the Apostle Paul. And yes, he was an apostle, and yes, he was a missionary church planner, but friends, what does faithfulness look like for you? Does faithfulness to Christ involve speaking and living the gospel? Of course it does. Does faithfulness to Christ involve being a loving husband who lives in understanding with their family, with his family? Of course it does. Does faithfulness to Christ involve being a child who listens to and obeys your parents, submits to them? Of course it does. Does being a, a faithful Christian involve being a wife who is humble and respectful? Of course it does. Does being a faithful Christian involve someone who is going to seek the Lord with everything they are? Whatever we do in life, does it mean that we're going to live for the glory of God? Of course it does. And this is what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. And so often we fight it. Why? Because we battle sin. And we can't all the time with a clear conscience say, oh, I don't, I don't count my life as precious to myself. 
only that I may finish what God has done, only that I may run this race. Too often we battle sin, friends, and we just need to confess it. We need to confess that too often we do consider our lives precious to ourselves. And we want to live for ourselves. We want our wills to be done. We want our way to be appreciated by everyone else around us. Friends, we gotta turn. We gotta confess that. And we gotta ask God to move in our hearts and make us surrender to what he is calling us to do and to be by his grace and for his glory. So Paul, being faithful to finish, meant that he would be faithful to the gospel. As he wrote in 2 Timothy, he'd be poured out. He's being poured out as a drink offering for the sake of Christ. Look, it wasn't about earthly gain for Paul. It wasn't about gold or silver or apparel, verse 34 and 35. In fact, Paul gave of himself, even as he quoted Lord Jesus there, it's better to give than receive. Paul lived his life giving of himself to serve others, to serve the Lord, being completed to the Lord, but in the service of others. He lived his life for the sake of the gospel. Friends, do we live our lives for the sake of the gospel? So to the leaders of the church, Paul is saying, follow me in this. Live in this way, serve in this way, be devoted to the Lord, build your life on God's word, follow the spirit, be steadfast through difficulty, be faithful to the finish. And to us, Paul's saying the same thing. Be faithful, seek the Lord, love others, serve others, follow the spirit. Jesus says, the one who hears my words and does my word is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock and the rain fell and the winds came, but the house stood strong. Why? Because it was built on the firm foundation of the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. So let's build our lives on the glory of God, on the only one who can save us, on the God who graciously calls us and equips us to love and to serve. Let's be devoted to the Lord. Let's pay attention to ourselves. Let's stay connected to the church family. Let's be steadfast through difficulty. Let's be submissive to the spirit. Friends, let's be faithful to the finish. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, you're good. Everything you do is good, so teach us your ways. Teach us your ways, Lord, for we know that in your ways there is life. We know that in your ways there is hope. We know that in your ways and in you, in you, Jesus, there is eternal joy. So help us as we listen to this word we pray that you would drive it home in our lives. We pray that we would be men and women and boys and girls who love what you have to say and who seek to build our lives on your word. Lord, thank you for those who have gone before us, who have set an example, and thank you for your grace, which allows us to be an example to others who would follow behind us. God, do your work right now in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, as we transition to a time of invitation and reflection, I just want to encourage you, if you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would come and we would be able to share with you what the gospel is, how you can know the hope of eternal life, forgiveness of sins. Maybe there's somebody here who just need to pray. 
Maybe you want to come up here and pray at the, at the stage. Maybe others can come with you and pray with you. Or maybe you just want to be right where you are and pray right where you are. Because there's pain and there's healing that needs to take place right now. And you want to seek the Lord. You want to seek the Lord together. You want to humble yourselves before him. You want to confess sin to him. You want to pray that he would work in your life right now. In your marriage right now. Maybe there's someone here who longs to be baptized. You've been trusting in Christ and you've never been baptized. We would love to celebrate with you. For those of you who have been through our membership process and want to join our church family, we would love to connect with you right now and share with the church that you are desiring to be a member of this church. God has at work in so many different ways. More ways than we can name, more ways than we can count, but he's at work in your life right now. What's he doing? And how will you respond to what he's doing right now? Will you stand as we sing together?